Hey, Colleen. Hey, Michelle. You excited for uh, have, have a little bit of fun today? Ooh, yeah. I love having fun. So we ask people for questions on Twitter. Okay. Actually, I don't know if people um, also sent you questions, but I have the ones that people tweeted at me. Perfect. And thought it'd be fun if we just take some time to run through them. Yeah, let's do it. The first and most pressing question that I think all of us have had for a very long time is for you. It comes from Pressed on Tech. If you ever do a Q&A episode, what's a Leamy Burger? And is there a oh recipe? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. This is so bad. Okay. Have I never told this story? No. Okay. So it's not actually so bad. It's just so ridiculous. So when I started to learn to code, I don't know, when was this like back? Like 2015. Literally did not know what GitHub was, right? Literally had never used Twitter in my life. Didn't know what Twitter was. And so I was trying to get up and running quickly and I try to get on GitHub and Twitter and of course, Colleen is taken and like most variations of Colleen are taken. And so I thought this was like a, a name I would never use that would fall into obscurity and it was not going to be a big deal. So I just, do you remember, <clears throat> you're probably too young, but uh, do you remember <laughs> AIM for those of us over 35? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. I used AIM. Okay. Please. Please. So, Anyway, when I, in the olden days, had AIM, <laughs> my handle, or whatever you called it back then, was Leany Burger, because I thought it was like a funny play on the name Colleen, right? Okay. But again, like I got on GitHub and Twitter, and I never, ever thought this name would follow me around for all eternity, but now it's everywhere. <laughs> I can't change it. I'm committed. Wait, so this is like a screen name you name you made at twelve when I was like twelve, and then 12. it's just stuck with you since then. Yes, and it has since. I I didn't put any thought into it because I did again didn't think it would follow me around the internet, and so I just picked something, and I I remembered that from like AIM, and so I just picked it, and now I'm stuck with it. So not ideal. So if we had a software social conference and we had to serve food, and there was a Leany Burger on the menu. What would it be? Oh, dude. Oh, man. It would be a hamburger, like real meat, not an impossible burger, with blue cheese and tomatoes and those French fried onions. That's what it would be. I think people would like that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't like that? <laughs> yeah, it is kind of funny, though, because it's like super embarrassing now because people are like, why isn't it like something clever, like code with Colleen? Or, you know, why did I think about it for more than 30 seconds? It's unique though, right? You're not Leany Burger 150, right? You're Leany Burger. You are the Leany Burger. I guess I got to take what I can get. But yeah, so that's that story. <laughs> so that question was actually brought back to our attention by Julian Simeone, who actually had another question for us, which was, and I think this one might be for me, best and worst parts of running a small company where founder citizenship and business operations may span multiple countries. I think it, it adds complication to it, I would say. Like first and foremost, that you know, we have multiple countries laws to deal with. So we have a company both in Denmark and in the US. We joke that we are the world's smallest multinational corporation. Though I do know somebody who was a one person 
multinational corporation as well. And they were, and they're actually a corporation. We're just a, well, I guess we're technically, a, the, this is the thing, we're technically a corporation in Denmark, but we're a company in the U.S. because we're an LLC. Um, so that gets kind of complicated. There's no real complications in terms of like citizenship insofar as I have to have permission to live in Denmark and to work here. So that was a little bit complicated at, at the beginning. But it does make it a little bit tricky, but like, you know, when dealing with things like taxes, for example, like I'm the person who would sort of run points on getting everything ready for tax prep, but I can't really navigate the Danish tax system quite as adeptly as I can in English for the U.S. system. But then, you know, time zones are also the biggest challenge. I mean, and this, Colleen, this is something we talk about all the time that like my, you know, my, my whole workday is like pretty shifted. And that's tough to have to be doing, you know, 9, 10 p.m. calls with California and stuff like that. That definitely wears on you. Because your workday starts 3 p.m. You're to align with the U.S. East Coast, I think you said you start at 3 p.m. Danish time. No, no. no. We start at 8 a.m. when our daughter goes to school. So we basically work from 8 to so we work from at least 8 to 2. She gets out of school like somewhere between like 2 and like 3.30. It's flexible when we pick her up um, and she might have activities or whatnot. So I will usually work from eight to two. And then phone calls usually start around two or three with the US and Canadian East Coast. Sometimes people are early risers and they, they do at 2 p.m., which is 8 a.m. for them. But it's pretty, it's pretty common that I would, you know, work from like we work at our desks without too many phone calls, unless I have to record something with somebody in the UK or something or elsewhere in Europe, but that's pretty unusual. And then if I have a phone call, it's at like, you know, it's in that three to four o'clock block, which is really tough because those are like the hours when, you know, customers are waking up. So my in inbox is filling up, I'm on, I'm on calls and our daughter's getting home from school. And it's just like, everything is like really busy all at once. Um, and then of course, can't work through dinner hours. A couple of times I've had stuff at, you know, 6 p.m., it's it's 7 p.m., it's really a challenge. And then any calls that can't be fit into 3 and 4 have to be at 8, 8.30, 9, 10 o'clock at night. Um, so I try not to do phone calls every day of the week because it's just, like, logistically so complicated. That is a long day. Which is something I've talked to other, like, friends who are uh, working from Europe with, you know, North America-based customers and it's just rough like it especially if you have kids I mean I mean maybe if like you don't have kids and it's easier for you to not have boundaries so I don't know if that's necessarily better right because I could have a 6 p.m phone call um but I'm actually forced to take a break so maybe that's a good thing but yeah this is a shared struggle <laughs> with no good solution so yeah okay so this one's for both of us. How do you switch between work mode and mom mode when the work is never really done as a founder on like a traditional nine to five job? You want to take that one first? Sure. I'm thinking about it because Saturday I worked for five hours. Maybe it was only four <laughs> hours. <laughs> You're like trying to squeeze things in before like lacrosse and... Right? I don't know that... I've tried a lot of different things to, to make this work, and I don't know that I have settled on something that is perfect. I think for me, the biggest thing is like when I'm working, I'm working, and when I'm with the kids, I'm with the kids. And I think just like the mental space that puts me in helps alleviate frustration 
that I can't be working on the thing because the work will literally never be done. So this weekend is a good example because I have been really busy as listeners of this podcast will know working a lot. And so I worked for like four hours this morning and or I'm sorry, this was Saturday. This was Saturday morning. But what happened was we had scheduled out this time that we'd blocked this time for me to work and I was going to be done at like, I don't know, 10 a.m. But I hadn't solved the problem. And it was a technical problem. So I was really, really annoyed that I had to stop working at 10 a.m. And so for the first, like from like 10 to 11, I'm like trying to figure out if we can reorganize the day so I can get more work time in. And then, you know, I was thinking to myself and I was like, this is silly. Like I have, I have time, right? This is, again, this we talk about a lot though, but like this is my life, right? I don't have to solve this problem today, Saturday or tomorrow, Sunday. This is a self-imposed deadline. It's something I want to do, but right now I'm just going to let it go and be with my family and we're going to do family stuff. And so that, although I'm doing the same physical thing, the mental shift from like now is work time, now is not work time, helps me a lot, not stress about not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. I feel like you have a much better sense of boundaries and being able to turn those things on and off than I do. Yeah. I think I do. Even when I had a nine to five job, like those were never nine to five jobs. Like there was always overtime and weekends and stuff. And so I think the shift for me with when I had, when we started Geopodia was like, I was still working at night or on the weekends, but the difference was, was that I was getting all of the money and benefit of that and like had all of the, you know, freedom to shape the direction of it. I have never been good about turning work mode off. And that's something that is is just a constant thing I'm working on. Like, I think it's just really, I both really enjoy my work and I really like the sense of relief I get of seeing, you know, a, an empty inbox or whatever. I like feeling that everything is all squared away. And I just, I just love the kinds of things I get to do. So I find it really hard to turn that off. It's been something I've been working on a lot over the past year. But for a long time, there really were no lines. And that was that was difficult. Like I was never fully out of work mode. I think for us turning off live chat, which we did last winter, that was really important because otherwise we were getting live chat stuff at all hours. And so whether it was dinner time or it was, you know, 10 o'clock at night and you're sitting in bed, we were always replying to stuff because we just wanted it to be like cleared out. And I think that was pretty unhealthy. And we were pretty scared about turning off live chat, but it had no, it actually had no impact on the business. We still grew last year despite turning it off. So yeah, I guess that's a challenge for me. And especially with the time zones, right? Because all of my customers are awake right. when school gets out. And so it's, it's way just, worse. Yeah. So like those hours of like three to like 8 p.m. for me are just kind of everything is happening all at once. And the weekends are really the only time that I actually truly get to disconnect. And when I was working on the book, I was doing a lot of that writing like in the morning, but it was only when our daughter was at like activities or something. Um, so I think I have better boundaries around the weekends than I used to, but weekdays are still, they're still tough. Right. Um, well, I I think, yeah. too, something that has helped me, which is both good and bad, mostly good, though, is my husband, unless he's flying, he literally cannot bring his work home. So I imagine if I had founded a company with my partner, 
the pull to work at 8 p.m. at night would be there every night because we were working on a common shared goal and we theoretically both loved it. But because my husband and I are in different fields, different industries, it's annoying to him. If every night at 8 p.m. I'm like, I'm going to go work for two hours. He's like, no, 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 no. Mm. Like, this is not, you know, this is not what we're doing here. And he's right. And so I think that that really helps in the evenings for me. Um, you know, so I think I've told you we pick, I, I work like one or two nights a week right now, which is a good balance. But you and that time zone problem, man. I mean, that is like, okay, you can't do anything about that. It's intractable. Yeah. Yeah. And I've tried like, okay, I can pack in all my calls for the week on one day, which I did a couple weeks ago. So I was on the phone basically from like two to like nine or 10 o'clock after working from eight to two as well. And I was just so tired. Like that's a, I think it was the episode 101 that we recorded at the end of that day. And I feel like I sound just like really loopy. Um, They're just so intertwined with one another, right? We started our business because we couldn't afford daycare. So there's no, like, we started, you know, the company, we launched when she, our daughter was like four months old. So like, these things are just, they're, it's just so intertwined to me that it's really hard to to have a time when we pull it off and to not talk about work at dinner. We're, we're not good at that, honestly. Yeah. I think something that works really well for me um like this weekend, thinking back to this weekend too, is like, I'm really into physical activity. So Saturday I was super annoyed because I couldn't solve this problem in my four hours. So I took all the kids and we went for a hike, like getting out of the house, getting away from the computer. Cause I believe the original question was like, how do you shift into two modes? Like physically removing myself from my computer and like mm-hmm. doing something physical really helps me. Cause the kid, my kids are, you know, old enough that they're really into that too. So it's something, you know, my, now that the kids are old enough that we share the same interests, it makes it more fun for everyone. That's a good tip. We should try that. Uh, all right. Next. Let's do the next question. I guess this is the, there are two questions that are kind of related, which was basically from Matt Zunert and Brian Cottingham asking about Geocodio hiring. So Brian's question was, why is Geocodio moving to hire employees? Why now? And Matt's question was would be interesting to learn more about how you decided on what this role entails and who'd be a good fit for it. So the first um, answer to that is first is we are hiring employee, not employees. Uh, It's not like we're, it's kind of embarking on this of like, yeah, now we're going to be a huge company and have 500 employees and an office building in some tower, right? This is, we're hiring one person. So it was not a super like, it wasn't like we went into 2020 saying we're going to hire somebody this year. It would more just kind of happened. So there's somebody that uh, Matthias used to work with who he saw on LinkedIn had recently completed a Flatiron School coding boot camp. And he's like, oh, that's like, re- that's really interesting. Like, you know, he, uh, he so this, uh, the person we're hiring was a customer support manager where Matthias used to work. And apparently he was just, he was such an awesome guy, like, and um, really good at handling customers. And he said there were times when, you know, if there was a really hard call, it would be handed to him. And then like the whole office would be huddled around his desk, listening to the call and then like start cheering when he like talked the person down, you know, off of a cliff and like got it calmed down. And and, and he was kind of like, you know, if we were like gonna hire someone to help us with support, you know, it would be, it'd be like him because I know that he has the same approach to it that we do. 
And so we, we like kind of thought about it. We also thought about how, I think it really, really hit us that like, to what we were just talking about, like we have not had a work free vacation in over eight years. In fact, vacations used to be our time to get more geocodio work done. So it was like, you know, it'd be nice if we could even just like somebody's covering the support queue and we can like actually take a break. So uh, we ended up connecting with him and had a chat with him and we're like, you know, maybe he can do some freelance work for us. Maybe he can do some support as a consultant just to kind of, you know, basically help him out as he's trying to build up his resume as a developer, transition out of being in exclusively support roles, get his feet wet and being a developer. And, um, and also see, you know, just how, to, how does it work, you know, like remotely because he's in the U.S. and we're here. And it was just working really, really well. And then we kind of had a thought a couple weeks ago. It's like, okay, like we've, you know, spent this time like training him and, and kind of getting him on board with things. And, but we know he's looking for a full-time job. So like, what if he goes to get a full-time job? And so one thing that made it that easier for us to hire him, I'll say, is, is using Deal, which is what's called a PEO, which is basically a company that they, you basically pay them to hire somebody for you. So it's like Deal is technically his employer, employer of record, they call it. But it means that we don't have to have a company set up in Maryland. You know, they go out and, and, and they get health insurance. We just pay for it, which is just so complicated, just getting health insurance as, as one person um, or as a one person, like a small organization is, is really complicated and expensive. So um, between the fact that it was really easy for us logistically to hire him and that it seemed like a really good fit, we decided to make him an offer. And so he's going to be doing a combination of content and like technical content and technical support. So basically helping when, you know, people have questions about using the API, writing tutorials, writing sample projects. He already has one up on our GitHub, you know, basically creating sort of developer-focused content and support. But so that's kind of that, and it's not like a big formal strategic thing. It's more, it's like, hey, like this is actually somebody who's just a really right fit in terms of how we want to treat our customers and what we think would be useful for them. And also, you know, something that you know, that takes some work off of Matias's plate because I've gotten help with bookkeeping and, and my VA. And like, I have a little group of, of contractors that help me, but Matias doesn't. So this is a way to really lighten the load for him, but also for me. How long was he contracting for you? A month. Oh, not long. No, no, but we knew he was looking for a full-time job. And so it was right. like, the thought we had when we made him the consulting offer was basically that like, it was effectively an informal trial. Like, I don't think we ever really right. said that, but that was kind of how we were thinking about it, even if we didn't really communicate that to one another until later, which is kind of funny. But that was basically how, yeah. So Matias really pushed for this then? Neither one of us, like, pushed for it. There was no, like, we got to do this, and here's the numbers of why it makes sense. It was more like, hey, like I saw this on LinkedIn today and like he was a really awesome guy, like. Right person at the right time. Yeah, I would just love to like help him out. And, you know, in January, I started um, hiring people freelance to make tutorials, uh, like developer focused tutorials. So I mean, like we would love to do more content engineering stuff, like building like tools to show what it does and stuff. So it was like, oh, like maybe, yeah, maybe that's something like he could do, so. So, yeah. so it sounds like it was more the right person 
at the right time and opportunity was there and you guys jumped on it. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. I, I feel bad that I didn't make it clear in the, the episode that um, like it wasn't an open position that we were currently hiring for. I have been quite flattered by the resumes I've been receiving. And also I feel terrible that it wasn't clear. Yeah. You didn't make that clear at all. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't realize it was that totally I didn't totally unclear. It I didn't. Yeah, that was. I feel like, OK, I feel like you did a disservice to the pod, Michelle, not because you didn't make it clear, but because I feel like you hired someone without like telling us as the process went. It was just I mean, we just been you so didn't much even going tell me. on. I think I put I put it in Slack, you know. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just saying like it's interesting. Like, yeah, you didn't from the beat. Like you just never talked about it. So I think we were all like, wait, what? I feel like I've been trying to get you to hire someone for 100 episodes, and then you just did. <laughs> it was like, wait, what just happened? Yeah, well, well, I mean, I wanted to, like, wait to, like, tell anyone about it being full-time until contract is actually signed, right? Like, because you never sure. know what's going to happen. you never know. But also for a consultant, like, I've hired, you know, hired consultants without talking to you before. So. Uh, you need to run all of your decisions by me, obviously. <laughs> like, <laughs> duh. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. I guess it kind of moved quickly, and... We have so much going on. Like, it's hard to. <laughs> yeah, this is just a lot. All right. Next question. <laughs> next question. Next question. Oh, this is a really fun one. I'm actually super excited for this. Okay. So I totally stole this idea for a Q&A episode from our friends, Matt and Peter at Out of Feta Podcast. And Ruben Gamas asked them, if you traded places and had to take each other's products, what would be the biggest thing you do or try differently? And Michael Copper wants us to answer this question. Um, That's fun. I so I feel like we should first put guardrails on it. So, oh, we don't have to put guardrails on it. Go ahead. No, no, no. In terms of like which businesses are we talking about, right? Because oh, okay. I have Geocodio, but then I I guess technically my book is is a business. And then I mean I'm literally sitting here in a hotel room, um, going to give a workshop on it at the conference tomorrow. And then I guess this podcast is technically a business, but I feel like maybe I think we should just limit it to Geocodio. And I don't know for you if we want to do it for both Refine slash Hammerstone and Simple File Upload or one of those. Let's just do Hammerstone. Just Hammerstone. Yeah. Okay. I mean, either way, or you can just take over my life and let me know. <laughs> uh, I want to hear what you would do with Geocodio. Oh, man. I think what I would do with Geocodio... I mean, you just, I, the first thing I would have said would, would be, I would really put time and effort into hiring someone and you just did that. So I think, Yay. yeah, I mean, that, that would definitely be my first move. I think you guys, as I feel like I've said before, but probably not for a while, you guys have all the things, uh, yet you kind of seem perpetually stressed out. And so I think that is a factor. A part of that is you're, you know, you haven't been able to take a vacation for eight years. So if it were my business... I would buy a house <laughs> in California because I could afford one. <laughs> That's the first thing I would do. <laughs> and then I would try to get a highly technical person in and try to start deliberately structuring the business in a way that enabled me to and my family to go on vacation for a week and be able to actually disconnect. And that's probably more than one person. And that's probably like, that's a long game, right? That's not gonna happen in a month. That's probably a six month to a year process. But I would start tweaking the business to structure it in a way that I had to be less involved, that I could step back. 
Yeah, I think the challenge we're running into right now, which I've seen other people talk about, is like basically hiring too late. There ends up being so much you have to do in order to onboard someone or yeah. people, and it and you're already so busy, yeah, that you don't really have time to devote to that. And so, I think that that's kind of something we're we're feeling right now. And also, we, you know, we hired someone who is junior, so you know, for the foreseeable future, like for example, we'll be working on the geocoding engine, right? It'll be support type stuff that does not directly relate to working on the geocoding engine. Of course, you know, we we would like love for him to grow into that, but um, it's also rare that like an issue with a geocoding engine is something that like is like critically on fire when we're on vacation. I mean, say more often than not stuff with like servers. I can't tell you how many theme parks Matthias has you know he's been standing in line for a ride like SSH'd into a server um, <laughs> it's like like <laughs> like at least Sesame Place Universal <laughs> um <laughs> Legoland multiple Legolands actually we like Legoland um yeah so yeah that's that's still kind of work in progress for us Okay, so I am answering for your... Actually, I kind of want to ask... I want to talk about Civil Philo for a second. Do it. So you're making, what, like 1400 a month, right? 15 but close 15. enough. 15 Okay. And how much does it, like, cost you to run it? 200 bucks. Okay. And then how much are you spending on the content work? 500 bucks a month. So then you are netting, without taxes, $800 a month from it. Is that right? Sounds about right. Oh, Heroku takes 30%. So drop that down to, I don't know, 500 bucks a month. Okay. Um, that's interesting. And then we have Refine going. Mm -hmm. And you are pounding the pavement on sales. So I personally, I, I tend to defer to making it easy for someone to figure out what something does before they... Like, so they can figure it out on their own, basically. Then they don't have to talk to someone. And right. they can find it um, on their own as they're trying to figure something out. So I I would just, I would use the same playbook we used for Geocodio, basically, which is figure out a way to do some sort of, you know, freemium plus subscription and really hit on SEO, like be all over Stack Overflow and Reddit. Like anytime anybody is posting something that's, remotely related to um refine mm -hmm. right wherever you can find those people like just astroturf the hell out of it and like post of like hey like oh like try this thing and try that and just be in all of the forums and which is also not only building eyeballs but also building backlinks and then have some content that's like here's here's how it is here's how you quickly get it going like now i know your business is different because you're targeting like managers rather than developers but i think it's important to have the developers um on board and you could maybe even double track that with doing the, the the sort of more like outbound sales model i mean quite frankly i would you're investing in content for simple file upload and given the changes in the industry and that cloudflare is now um no it's not cloudflare it's um cloudinary no cloudinary is, it's cloudinary is in that space I would put that money that you're putting into content for simple file upload and instead spend that money on Refine. Refine. I've thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, I've thought about that. Because I think that's where your growth is. Like, I think it's great that you're making $1,500. 
well, let's say you're making, if if we don't spend on content, $800 a month, right? Like, yeah. you know, that that's 800 bucks a month that you didn't have before. That's a nice little cushion. Like, but basically regard that as something that gives you a little base of revenue to like basically just like just and save that money so that, you know, when you um, want to be full time on Refine without the client, which is coming up three months from now, you have at least, you know, maybe a month or two of salary saved up so that it's at least a little more comfortable to be going full time. And I would probably keep consulting for longer than you're planning on. But again, you have much better work-life balance uh, boundaries than I do. And I do not hesitate to sign myself up for working long days, but that's not healthy. So I don't think I should advise <laughs> anyone to do it. That's probably what I would actually do. But like, I'm not saying like, I would not advise you or anybody else to do that. So you think we should lean into SEO for Refine? That's interesting because or it's kind of a weird SEO. Make it possible for people to play with it without having to buy it. This is okay. So this is what we're talking about. Right? This is hard because yeah. of what it is. It's hard. Um, but Aaron and I have been talking about that, and I think that is going to be a big, a big thing once we figure out how to do that. Even if it's just not not for like SEO purposes, but it's for like, like for you, like sales enablement might be more important. And so if you're going to spend two hundred dollars a month on content. Be spending that on, you know, nice PDFs that, you know, people can forward to their managers about why they should buy it and tools that help people see it. Like even just having like a, you know, a live demo that someone can go into. So not necessarily they're getting to use it in their own app, but they're just getting to see like, oh, this is what it, Yeah, I can just play around with We've this in Nova that. or I can play yeah. around with this in a Rails backend. And then here are all of these white papers and one pagers and stuff that you can, they, they can download or that you can send, you know, to makes it super easy when you're following up with someone after a call, right? Investing in content doesn't necessarily mean SEO. It also means other things. I like it. That makes sense. No, that makes total sense. But I feel like Refine is really where your growth is. And that's, you know, invest too. in the growth. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um... Oh, there was another one. Okay. Oh, this one I think was for me. If or I guess it's both of us. If universal healthcare existed in the United States, what effect do you think that would have on entrepreneurship? That's more for you. Go. Is it? I I think so. I mean, I guess so you have health insurance through your husband who right. is in the military. Right. So you are like covered in terms of health insurance, which is um I mean I think maybe it's why, you know, a lot of the founder couples I know are actually not in the U.S. come to think of it because to have both of you full time requires buying your own health insurance. And that's just both complicated and expensive. Like there are a lot of states where a founder only married couple founder like company can't buy company health insurance, which is, you know, way better and, you know, like orders of magnitude cheaper than buying individual health insurance. Like I think when I looked at it, it was like four thousand dollars a month for buying it on the individual market versus like thirteen hundred a month. So I think it would be a massive boon to entrepreneurship in the U.S. Quite frankly, um, it's really amazing for me. Like looking around Denmark and seeing so many people becoming entrepreneurs, and not necessarily like tech entrepreneurs, I guess, but like you know, people can start their own, you know, landscaping business or, 
you know, like doing something in trades or just having a store or um, with crafts or like just all sorts of things at much younger ages and also like with less, um, less risk because they don't have to worry that, yes, of course they have to, you know, they have to bring in money and they have to, you know, feed themselves and their families, but like they don't immediately have a, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 bill at minimum to start with in order to start their own company. I think it would be really important. And, you know, it, I mean, it feels very appropriate that the reason why uh, health insurance is tied to employees in the U.S. is because of Hitler, right? Like, that's just the only way you end up with such a bad system um, because of World War II. Um, yeah. so, this American Life. I think we've talked about this. This American Life has yeah. a great podcast episode about that, by the way. It's oh, from, do they? Yeah, it's from years and years ago. But I remember I was, it's like fascinating. Yeah, because so they basically, they didn't want inflation to increase during the war. Right. And so health insurance was a way to attract people into jobs instead of raising wages. But I, I think it would be super important and super helpful. I don't know if anyone really would disagree with that, quite frankly. Yeah, I don't think like, so. I think the only people who like the U.S. health insurance system are health insurance companies. <laughs> so... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, not getting into what exactly that solution would no, look yeah. like, but yeah. Okay. I think, did you get any questions directly? Nope. No. Okay. So I think, I think that might have been the, um, the questions that we got. Awesome. Um, yeah, this was kind of fun. We should do this again. So as I mentioned, so I'm at a conference or two conferences this week. I am at GoToAhus and mind the product in Hamburg. And then you're on vacation next week. Is that right? That's right. And, and then I'm on vacation for two and a half weeks after that. And then I think you're on vacation again. Sounds right. And so basically all of our like <laughs> travel is sequential for the next like month and a half, but we will still be here. So I've talked to a bunch of other people, had some really fun conversations that I'm excited to share. I know you're going to keep talking to Aaron, and so there will be a little bit of like Hammerstone Pod software social crossover over the next couple of weeks. But you know, our and I know actually you, you kind of uh, you kind of rip me for this sometimes, Colleen. But I feel like we have like a promise to people that like we're gonna be in their ears when they're walking their dog or mucking stalls or uh, doing the dishes or driving their kids to school or camp. Uh, every week, I think you kind of. <laughs> oh, I have thoughts, but you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like standing here cracking the whip about that. But yeah, so there, so so it'll be a little bit different for the next month and a half or so, and then I think we're both back home and everything at like the end of July. I remember yeah. correctly. I think it's the end of July. Yeah, yeah. So and then, and then basically you're at your deadline for refine. Okay. And yeah, I mean, but also it's not like a hard deadline, but yes, we are working towards that. And I think it'll be fun because the next time we talk about this, a lot will have changed in the next month and a half. Do you have a uh, five call scheduled for this week? <laughs> no, <laughs> dude, I just talked to you like three days ago. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Get those calls scheduled, those podcasts out, Colleen, chop, chop. Yep. I'm on it. <laughs> All right, let's us thank the wonderful people who support our podcast. 
which by the way, I've been meaning to do this actually, but I, I wanted to add up like how much our podcast, how much revenue it brings in now that we are supported by the community versus how much it was when we had like pre-roll sponsors. Yeah. I almost wonder if it's going to be higher. Plus we've added the new tier of like doing somebody, like a company can do a sponsored episode as a special thing. So I, but I feel like it might actually be higher. Um, okay. So huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. You can become a supporter for $10 a month or $100 a year at softwaresocial.dev slash supporters. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality. Dave from, oh my God, I can't get through this without a, with a straight face. Um, Max from Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andre of Bright Bits, Aaron from Tuple, Alex Hillman from The Tiny MBA, Remy from Memo.fm, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of CrowdSentry, Nate Ritter of RoomSteals, Anna Mass of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from OutSetty, Justin Jackson of MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh, the annoyingly pragmatic founder, Ben from Consent Kit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Newsy Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Kaylee of Tosslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lena and Alex from Recap C, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Op Oppelnet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Nathan of Develop Your UX, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, and Mitchell Davis from Recruit Kits. Thanks, everybody. Colleen, I will talk to you at the end of July. Aw. Okay. Talk to you then. <laughs> <laughs> You're so ready. You're so ready for this break. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> all right. See ya. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Bright Bits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from the Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from Consent Kit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Oppelnet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, 
Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Works Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from Recruit Kit.